Well, amen. Open your Bibles to Exodus. We're in this series called Exodus on the Move. And in the middle of Exodus, right in the middle, Exodus chapter 20, we're looking at a mini-series within the series called the Ten Commandments. And so we're learning the Ten Commandments. Number one, only one God. Number two, two's too many. Don't bow to any other. Number three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Watch what you say about them. Number four, sign language R, remember your rest. Uh, Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Number five, salute, honor your father and your mother. Number six, thou shalt not murder. And number seven, you ready? Sex is for a man and woman who are married and not all this other stuff. That's what we're talking about today. We are talking about the taboo topic for today. You ready? Biblical sex. Can I even say that? Can I say that in a church and not get fired or struck by lightning? I just did, okay? So y'all may fire me. It's a two-part series. You may never hear the next one unless it's on YouTube, okay? You may quit today and not come back next week. And if I'm not fired, I'll preach it to nobody. Because of all the messages that need to be preached, need to be heard in today, American culture, it's not just for students, it's for every adult in here. Every, every person in this room needs to hear this. It's PG-13, so if you've got small children, you want to take them out, that's cool. Be a good, good time to do it because you get up and walk around a few minutes from now, people are going to look at you and go, mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about this subject, biblical sex, okay, and there is such a thing. Now, most people don't know it <clears throat> because the world has much to say about sensuality, sexuality, okay, and the three-letter word sex. The church isn't talking about it. Preachers don't talk about it, and, uh, and that's why we're so confused. That's why we have messed this thing up. And so today, the, the subject of biblical sex um, and, and an inappropriate understanding of what that is impacts every nation, every person, every gender, every age, every persuasion, every church, and every home in the world. You are a product of sexuality. You know that. You're only here because of sexuality. But the problem is we don't know what God's view is on it. And God has a beautiful view of it. And God has a beautiful purpose and a plan for it. And we need to know what that is. We need to tap into that so it'll revolution, a revolution, give us a revolutionary view of what it is. Because we need to push back. We need to tether to truth and not the lies of the world. We need to take a stand personally. We need to take a stand culturally. We need to take a stand ecclesiastically as a church. We need to understand this, and we need to just talk about it and be open about it. Listen, God has a design and a desire for sex. God has prohibitions regarding sex. God has healing for hurt and failure in the arena of sex. Everybody say sex. And you know what's funny? I feel it. Y'all are listening more intently right now than you have this whole series. Why? Because it's the world we live in. Because it is everywhere. And, And except in the church. I want this church to know what God believes and says to be true in the area of sexuality. Now, in this very room today, there are those who have just come through an adulterous relationship, which we make it sexier by calling it an affair. There are those who have just come through that, and and you have a repentant, broken heart, and you want with everything in you for the damage to be restored 
for the trust to be restored, for your relationship with your spouse and your relationship with God to be restored, and you wonder if it ever will. There's people in this room who have been hurt because of an adulterous relationship by the person you gave yourself to in covenant relationship before God in marriage. And, and you wonder if healing and trust will ever be a reality and how significantly it will impact your future and the future of your children. In this room, there are those who have never committed physical adultery, but you look around this world and you hear all of the vibes about how great sexual encounters are outside of the marriage relationship. And, and although you've never done it, you're wondering now if, if that would be uh, a viable option in your future. Number four, there's those of you who are in right now an adulterous relationship right now, and you think that you married the wrong person and that this adulterous relationship is everything you ever thought a relationship should be. Number five, there's those of you who are single and you think, wow, I am not married, so my sexual endeavors are flying under the radar of adulterous sexual sin. There are those in here today who have become a regular attender to pornographic images, movies, magazines, and websites, along with multiplied millions of people right here in America and even in the church. And you have developed a passionate desire for virtual sexual encounters, which is lust of the flesh and classified as adultery, fornication, and immorality. But you thought, since there's no physical contact, you're still innocent of sin. Number seven, there's those of you who have convinced your convictions that as long as you are in a monogamous sexual relationship with someone or cohabiting with one sexual partner or planning to marry this person, then your purity is not compromised before God. And then number eight, there's those of you who are fighting the temptations of sexual immorality, pursuing sexual purity before God, regardless of what the world says about it. And this message is designed and given by God and next week to bring clarity to all the confusion. Because we're all in a camp. We, we, we've all, we're all affected by this taboo word called Sex. So the title of the message on the back of your life guide is this, Sex Through a Biblical Lens. Sex Through a Biblical Lens, commandment number seven. And, and, and commandment number seven, just like the others, it's not suggestion number seven. It's a prohibition. It's a commandment. Strong words. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 is five words. You shall not commit adultery. That's it. Now, when we read that on the surface, just like the other commandments, we think, okay, I, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not married or I'm not doing that particular act, so I must be free of that sin. But we're going to learn today that this thing has tentacles, that when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, it was not all-inclusive. It was the surface commandments. It was, it, he used a broad brush to paint them. Because he knew if he dove in and told them the expectation of purity and holiness that God has as a standard for us, we would throw in the towel and get defeated early, right? 
And so he gave us some broader ones to kind of teach us to walk in these commandments. Jesus comes along not to abolish, but to fulfill and to amplify the commandments. And that's what he does with commandment number seven. And so it stretches out wide. And so, and so if I had to sum up today and next week's message, it's this. All sexual activity with another person outside the marriage union, listen, is a sin. No discussion in the Bible, no debate from God's word, and no exceptions to the rule. It's really that simple. And so we need to know that. Sometimes we just need to hear the truth. Sometimes amidst all of the lies of the world, somebody needs to raise the truth banner and say, by the way, that's what everybody's doing, but this is what God's word is saying. And that's what we're gonna do today. Now, there's three basic categories for immorality or sexual sins in the Bible. There's adultery, which is a sin against your spouse and against God. There's lust, which is a sin against God and the object of your lust. And there's fornication, which is any sexual experience outside the marriage union between a man and a woman. And it's a sin against the Holy Spirit who lives within you. Now that's all three of those are only for the Christian community. So if you're here today and, you don't, and you've never been born again, you've never given your life received to Jesus and received his grace gift into your life, you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation because you're not saved, this is not for you. You should live a sexual life. That's what lost people do. That's what people who walk in the world, the flesh and the devil, that's what they should do. If I was lost, I would, so go for it. But if you're a child of God, planning to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven, this message is for you. And you need to not only know the truth or hear the truth and know the truth, but also to live in the truth. Now you may say, well, preacher, my sex life is none of your business. And that's true. I don't want to know you. I do not want to know your sex business. Okay. Do not call me. Do not send me an email. I don't want to hear it. Okay. But your spiritual condition is much my business as shepherd and pastor of this church. It is my business. In fact, in Romans 12, 5, it says this. So we, being many Christians, are one body in Christ and individually we're members of one another. We're in this thing together for eternity, okay? So we're supposed to help each other, to edify, to encourage, to lift up, and to move people closer to God and not further away. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. And so this commandment today is about purity and holiness. Now, we play at the idea of purity and we talk and make much of holiness within the context of the church. But typically, we don't live pure and holy lives. And, and, and how could we when we're inundated and saturated with all of the lies of the enemy? You turn on the media, it's there. You watch a movie, it's there. You go to Target, it's there. No matter where you go, the lies are just propagated and, and just blasted in our direction. And meanwhile, God has a simple truth. And he says, number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. And no matter where you go in scripture, Listen to me, he never moves from that. He only dives in and makes it more clear and profound 
of a truth. Now, Gallup Poll, who does a lot of polling in America, and they're very reputable, they had 16 moral issues that they did a poll in America for. And out of all 16, the one that got the strongest review at 90% was, is adultery wrong and is it a sin? 90% of those polled in America said that adultery is a sin and adultery is wrong, but, but there's a disconnect. You see, even though we believe that, um, 65% of men will commit adultery, physical adultery. And 55% of women will commit physical adultery. So, so what, how is that? That 90% of us say, yeah, that's wrong. But over half of us are saying, it's wrong, but I'm getting in the game. How does that happen? Well, it happens because of, in, of unintentionality. That when we stop attending to what matters, our beliefs and our moral standards begin to erode and dissipate into nothingness. And the further we get from those standards, the easier it is to accept all of the views of the world. I'm going to call it the drift. The drift. The drift is unintentionally allowing the ways of the world to come into our mind. And no one ever drifts to their desired destination. You get that, right? If you go on a cruise ship, the motors are running the rudder is turning. The ship is going where the captain tells it to go. The last thing you want to do is for him to shut the engine off and us decide we're going to drift to Coco Cay. Okay? It's not happening. You won't drift to your desired destination. So the drift to moral failure often begins in innocence, neglect of value in terms of our marriage and biblical truth. Something other than God gets the priority. Um, it gets the focus. And sometimes these things are good. It might be our job or a career or, or our education or our athletic um, uh, desires. It, it might be a fitness. It might be children. It might be grandchildren. These are all good things. But when good things become the great things in our life, we're in the midst of a drift. Now, the drift can then lead to apathy where we just stop caring for ourselves, and we stop caring for those around us. The intentional drift floats us into uncharted, unfamiliar, strange waters. We innocently enjoy common interest and bond with somebody outside of, of our marriage union. It happens uh, at work. It happens in the gym. It happens in the neighborhood. It even happens sometimes in the church. And we begin to keep things secret in our life. Then the drift, we drift into a current now that starts moving more rapidly in a particular direction. You see, the drift has a destination as well. The drift wants to take us where the drift wants to take us, not our desired destination. We begin to learn routines and patterns in our life that allow us to embrace the drift rather than the truth and the moral standard that God has given. The drift now has carried us far from our original location to a place that we probably never really intended to go, a place of compromise, of reevaluation of all of the terms of morality that we thought were true before. 
So we begin to make excuses and we rationalize our actions. We begin to highlight the weaknesses of our old view and we begin to highlight the strength of our new view. And so in the process, we walk away from the covenant that we have if you're married with your spouse as a Christian with your God. Now, never does the drift happen as a pursuit of betrayal. Nobody ever drifts to a place because they intentionally want to betray another person that they once loved. They never want to betray God, but that's what it is. They don't want to betray their spouse or the church. They don't want to betray their children or their community or their family, but that's where the drift leads. The drift now has subtly but suddenly changed. Now we're no longer in a drift. Now we're in the riptide. The riptide is when you go to the beach and the undertow is sucking you out into deep waters. The riptide takes you where it wants you to go. Now you're no longer in control of your own destination. Everything that we once were anchored to has changed. We've severed the ties to the truth that we held to in the past. And all of it, every bit of it, is all about personal selfishness and personal satisfaction. And all the while, other people in our life are left damaged, disappointed, and disenchanted with life and with love and with relationship and with covenant and with truth and with morality. And that's the drift and it happens every day and it's happening right now as we speak and it's happening with people right here in this room. Now, sexual sin is just not, not just about you, okay? It has tentacles, it, it reaches in every direction. Sexual sin reaches up to God. Sexual sin extends over to your spouse. Sexual sin devastates downward towards your children or future children. Sexual sin disappoints out to your friends and to your family. Sexual sin is a big, big deal. Now, I want you to know that the reason why as a preacher I can use the word sex from the pulpit is because it's in the Bible. God created this. All we did was name it. God had a plan for it. All we did was pervert it. God provided the mechanics and we promote the confusion. God designed the pleasure of it and we desire the profit from it. Jesus affirmed biblical sex being between one man and one woman in marriage in the New Testament. You see, there's people today that say, well, that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we've been liberated. Man, we're under grace. We can do what we want to do, go where we want to go, have sex with who we want to have sex with. There's no holds barred. That's a lie from the devil, okay? That's a, that's a lie from the devil. Jesus affirmed marriage between one man and one woman, and he affirmed sexuality in the context and the framework of marriage in Mark and also in Matthew. In Mark chapter 10, verse six, he says, they were asking him about divorce and marriage and all that. Jesus, Jesus just goes back old school. 
because Jesus was there in old school, because Jesus is God, because Jesus was there at creation, right? And this is what he says when asked about this idea of marriage, divorce, and sexuality. Jesus said, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus affirmed marriage between one man and one woman. Jesus affirmed sexual relations between one man and one woman. The Bible then is replete or chock full of scripture that addresses the consequences of everything outside the framework of what he said sex was supposed to be. Listen, listen to me, real easy. Biblical sex, God-honoring sex, is a man and a woman who are married, who come together in sexual activity. Outside of that, outside of that, there is no biblical room for acceptance. No debate, no discussion, okay? It's just not there. And so often, when God wants to speak into the significance and the importance of all of the other sexual activity outside of one man, one woman who are married, he puts that sin, that sin, morality sin, in a list of stuff that nobody will ever argue and try to defend as acceptable behavior. Listen how he does this. In Matthew 15, 19, Jesus said, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Now he's gonna give a list of sins that are under the heading of evil. He says, you got murder? And nobody's gonna argue murder's good. And then he says, adulteries, ouch. And then he says, fornications, ouch. And then he says, theft, false witness, and blasphemy. He includes sexual sins in this list of things that fall under the category of evil, okay? You, you can't hide from, you can't run from, Jesus said that. And then if you're not convinced in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Okay, now, now, now pause. He just told us, he said, listen, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what we're getting ready to say, these people are not going to heaven. That's the kingdom of God. So where are they gonna go? They're gonna go to hell. How do we know? Because there's only two eternal destinies for every human being, the kingdom of God, heaven, or the kingdom of the devil, which is hell. That's it. So he says, unrighteous people will not go to heaven. Now he's gonna give a list of unrighteous people. He says, neither fornicators, sexual immorality. He says, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch. That's heavy stuff. I mean, he just cast a whole lot of our friends to hell, right? They're, they're, they're headed in the wrong direction. And some of you are wondering, well, that includes me for crying out loud. I don't really care about my friends right now. I'm on that list. I made the cut, okay? Don't stop reading. Don't stop reading. He goes on and he says, such like were 
some of you, listen, but you've been washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. Uh, Listen, he says, listen, all of us are sinners. All of us have been, were born into this sin curse. But he says, you were that when you got saved on the inside, when God radically changed your core, when God changed the soul, the depth, nature of who you are on the inside, it needs to show up on the outside. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian and you're living in that list of sin, you are under the discipline of God and the chastening of a father. You see, God will discipline you. He'll take you to the woodshed. And he may not do it on first offense, but the woodshed's coming. You know, my, my parents, they gave me the woodshed. And I told you a couple weeks ago, you know, you, you said, we don't believe in spanking. I, I, I met your kids, I know, okay? And so my parents never said, hey, boys, me and my brothers, hey, let's not do that. Next thing you know, bam, you know, I mean, they, 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 they would teach us, you know, that this is, that when we say this, it means this is coming. God's, God says that too. He disciplines those that he loves. In fact, scripture says, if you've never been disciplined by God, you're not a child of God because he dis- disciplines and chastens those that he loves. And so that's the introduction. It wouldn't be a good time to go get a drink. Somebody's leaving right now. They're thinking, oh, they're gonna look at me now. <laughs> he says, yeah, I'm out of here, Okay. Uh, that's the introduction. So where do we go from that? Because that's a lot of information. The title of the message on the back of your life guide is this, Sex Through a Biblical Lens. Y'all are still listening more intently than any message I've ever preached. I can feel it. Why? Because it's a big deal. Sex is a big deal in our world and in our life. It's in our nature. And God includes it in his word. And so we need to know what he says. So first, we're going to define biblical sex. We're going to define biblical sex. Sex, as we know, showed up at the door of creation. And God gave simple instructions within the marriage relationship. He set them up for what I will call success, okay? He set them up for that. The mechanics of sex were in place, male and female, The motivation for sex was in place. You'll remember uh, Adam had named all the animals, Mr. and Miss Zebra, Mr. and Miss Squirrel, Mr. and Miss Rabbit, and ain't no Miss Adam. He's got nobody. He's a lonely boy. And God noticed, and he said, it's not good for you to be alone. And he put him to sleep, and he took a rib out, and he breathed on it, and he fashioned this woman. He woke Adam up, and standing in front of him was his naked bride, better than anything he'd ever seen. So much, he says, this is bone. He wrote a song, man. It's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her a whoa man, okay? It was good in the hood. Everything is in place. The motivation, the mechanics. She was different than him. He was different than her. Something was going on inside of him. And you know that's real, okay? You know that's real. And you imagine, imagine how real and amazing that was in the garden of beginnings without any sinful corruption in the purity and in the holiness of how God designed that relationship to be. In Genesis chapter one, it says, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It's amazing. Genesis 2.24, a little further down, he says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and, and unites with his wife and they become one flesh or one family. The man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. Now listen to me. God gives this first instruction about man and woman coming together as one flesh in marriage, a sexual activity, in the 55th verse of the Bible. And, and just for the record, there's 31,103 verses in all the Bible. God said, I better, I better give this some attention on the front end, okay? Because this is... What I've created here in this whole sexual concept is enormous. It's beautiful. This thing provides procreation and pleasure and it seals the marriage union. This thing is gonna be awesome. So 55 verses into 31,000 verses of biblical instruction, God says, this is how I want it to be within this framework. It's gonna be this simple. But as long as you keep it this simple, it's gonna be more beautiful than anything you can imagine. And so biblical sex shows up 55 verses into all of God's word and it's defined as one man, one woman, before, married before one God, naked and without shame. And all the people said, amen. I mean, that's good. That's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, Everything that shows up after this, sexually, everything that shows up after the 55th verse, okay, is a corruption. It is a, um, a twisted, morphed idea of God's design for sexuality. It's outside of what God designed. So that means every variety. That means every novelty, every option, every preference, every proclivity, all of them are in opposition and direct rebellion to what God's word says sex should be. It's that simple. This is not rocket science, it's God's word. And he's dealing with people like us and he made it simple. It's not that difficult. So let's talk about some of those other novelties. What, what do we do with that? What do we do? So the person who has struggled with their own personal sexual identity and now they've bought the lie and now they've even taken steps to reassign their identity and they're erasing the boundaries of gender. And, and they've bought the idea that there should be no pronouns boxing them in. Is it a sexual sin? Yes, it is. God created every person, male or female, in the image of God. They were told to be fruitful and multiply, not fruity and diversify. What about a married person who has had sex with any other person outside of the marriage union? That is adultery, that is sin. What about homosexuals who claim exemption from the adultery sin and from fornication because they are legally married? Listen, legally married is not biblically married. Legally married means nothing. There's all, we can murder babies legally, okay? We can get drunk until we can't see our own feet, and that's legal. Most places we can smoke weed and eat Doritos till Jesus comes back, and it's legal, okay? 
Because the government says something is legal does not make it biblical. And so homosexuality, homosexual marriage is not a marriage. You, you can call it a communion. You can call it a contract. You can call it a couple. You can just call it confusion, but you can't call it marriage. You see, marriage was well-defined for thousands of years before the government and before an agenda arose that said homosexuality should be embraced and accepted by everybody. And quite honestly, we don't condemn, we don't judge anybody. We let the word of God do that. But the truth is, a man cannot be biblically married to a man. And a woman cannot be biblically married to a woman. Marriage is used by God himself for the holy union between one man and one woman before him. Marriage is used by God to refer to Jesus Christ and his forever blood-bought bride, the church. That's what marriage is. God picked that word. So any person of any age and any gender who willingly enters into any sexual relationship outside of marriage is committing a sin called fornication. That's the world we live in. And students, you're saturated with it, man. I know you are. I'm, I'm old. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine the failures that I would have had in my life if I lived in your culture today. Because it's upside down. You turn on Netflix, it's full of garbage and lies. You turn on the media, it's full of garbage and lies. You listen to the music, I don't care what flavor, pop, rock, Christian, uh, Christian, pop, rock, or country. <laughs> well, some of the Christians are a little sketchy too, but just saying. Uh, pop, rock, or country, it's saturated with the lies of the enemy, and it bombards you, and I get that. But I want you to know it doesn't stop when you turn 21. I'm old, and it bombards me too. It's everywhere we look. It's in almost everything we listen to. And meanwhile, Exodus 20:14 just said, you shall not commit adultery. Now you may be thinking, well, preacher, you've gone a long way. You've chased a big old fat rabbit a long way from those five words. And, and, and you could say that. But if you'll remember, we've been in this series for a few weeks. And the New Testament doesn't dial it back. The New Testament amplifies it. It, it, it makes a big deal out of these commandments. And so Jesus did the same thing with this. And listen, this one right here, I don't even like this verse. This is a gotcha verse, okay? Matthew 5, 28 says, Jesus speaking, Jesus said, I say to you now that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I don't even like that verse. That's a gotcha verse right there. Failure. And it's just not talking about men. He's talking about men to women or women to men. He's just saying when you look at something with a lustful attitude, you've committed adultery in your heart. So you don't have to be married. You can be married. It doesn't matter. And so pop quiz. Let's just see how we're doing on this. Anybody viewed any pornography? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Do not raise your hand. Okay. Oh, yeah, I do, Pastor. <laughs> Has anybody deleted your history on your computer? Anybody watched and enjoyed Fifty Shades of Grey or movies like that one? Any people watch Young and Restless or Days of Our Lives? Anybody ever imagine just for a fraction of a second what a sexual escapade or uh, encounter might be with 
another person other than somebody you're married to? Ladies, have you ever taken a second look at a good-looking man at the mall? And you know he's a better man than your man because he's at the mall. You're already in fact, you'll hold the man's at the mall. I think I, I, think I love him. Okay. Men, have you ever taken a second glance at a woman who's walking along the beach, you know, and you're yawning, trying to take a second peek, okay? Jesus would say, gotcha, lust. It's called heart adultery. Now, I know none of y'all have done that, but you got friends. So what we're gonna talk about for a few, these are for your friends, what we're gonna talk about now. You share this with your friends because they all messed up, right? And your friend is not alone in their lust. I want you to know that. Your friend, the one that's failed in one of those things I just mentioned, they're not alone in their lust. In fact, in America alone, listen to this statistic. If we want to know how we're doing in terms of purity and holiness and sexual cleanliness rather than perversion and, and sinfulness, let's look at the sex industry. Let's look at one in particular, pornography. Pornography. Worldwide, pornography generates, listen, $97 billion in revenue. And out of the $97 billion in revenue that pornography is generating, 14 billion of it is in America. We're the largest consumer in the world per capita of pornography. Pornography in America, listen, is the seventh largest revenue generating business. I mean, you got auto manufacturing, finance, the housing industry. You got all this, the medical, you got all this stuff. Pornography reigns in its number seven as, as the seventh largest revenue generating industry. Now listen to these stats. 35% of all internet downloads are pornographic. Over a third of every internet search. 25% of all search engines request are pornographic related. 40 million people in America alone regularly visit porn sites. 77% of men between 18 and 24 visit pornography sites on the internet at least once a month. 12, listen to this, 12% of all websites on the internet, internet, 12% of all of them are pornographic. One half of all porn consumers are aged 35 to 49. And you wanna know one that'll make you sick? 9% of all of the views of pornography on the internet are by children 12 years old and younger. That's the world we live in. And ain't nobody in the church talking about it. Nobody else talking about it. It's this taboo topic. And meanwhile, the devil's talking. And he's screaming. And he's screaming illicit messages from provocative spokespersons to get our attention. 28,000 people tune into porn sites every second in America. 2.5 million people visit porn sites every minute. And it's not new. 
So where did this thing, did, did pornography show up when printing magazines started, showed up in, you know, in the 40s? Or did, did it show up with the internet? No, it's, it, it finds some of its base origin in, in, in Greece and in Rome. It was called pornea graphene. It's where a person would write books about the experiences of prostitutes and print them and sell them. It's not new, okay? We just live in a culture that puts it on the fast track, that gives it all kinds of flavor to, to draw us in and to make us believe that it's normal. Much of it is connected to the drug and sex trafficking world. And sex trafficking, listen to this, sex trafficking is the third largest criminal business in the world. You got drugs, the cartel, you've got arms, you've got all of this stuff, sex trafficking, third largest in the world. I was talking with Clark, they just got back from Honduras. And if you're, if you're a Honduran child or a family and you want your child to come to America to get away from the poverty of Honduras, then you can get a coyote, a handler to take you to America. And the cost is $5,500, I think. They don't have $5,500, they don't have $55. So what they do is they set up terms. You take your little girl or your little boy, you put them in the hands of a coyote, and you agree a $5,500 fee, and they get your child into America. How do they pay that back? Through sex. That's the world we live in, church. It's awful. It's upside down. It's confused. Meanwhile, God rings in at number 55 out of 31,000. He says, hey, let's just keep yourself clean and pure. Let's not commit adultery. Jesus comes in in Matthew 5 and he says, hey, let's keep our thoughts pure. Let's keep the things we watch pure. Let's, let's keep our lives pure. Now, many people have convinced, have convicted their convictions that pornography is really not a sin because there's no physical connection and that's not true. It's called heart adultery. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, if you've lusted in your mind, you've committed adultery in your heart. Now, Heart adultery and physical adultery are not the same, but they're both a sin, okay? Um, heart adultery does not transmit STDs. Heart adultery does not conceive unwanted babies. Heart adultery does not necessarily provide grounds for divorce, but heart adultery does grieve the Holy Spirit who lives within you. Heart adultery does cost Jesus his life on a cross, Heart adultery does dilute the value of God's in, and God's intention for biblical sex. Heart adultery develops a false reality regarding biblical sex. Heart adultery builds an appetite that often becomes insatiable and leads to ruin. So we've briefly defined biblical sex, what it is and what it is not. Now we need to debunk the lies surrounding biblical sex. Debunking the lies surrounding biblical sex. Now, James 3 says that, chapter 15 says that the world operates under three forms of leadership. They're called earthly, natural, and demonic. Also in some translations called the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system operates in those three dimensions. The world, the flesh, and the devil. What the world says, what the flesh says, what the devil says. And it promotes this message to the world, including to the Christian community. You see, we're not to walk by the flesh. We're to walk in spirit. 
Okay, we, don't, we walk to the beat of a different drum. We walk according to the leadership of God's word and the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And so how do we determine the truth in a world that's so saturated with lies? Uh, sometimes, even, sometimes, even though I know what scripture says, something will come up, somebody will make a lot of noise about something. It might be about being woke, or it might be about systemic racism, or it might be about homosexuality, or it might be about non-genderism, or whatever. And, and I think I know what I believe, and I'll get the scripture out, and I'll, I'll begin to look through scripture to know. But if I really want to drive home what I believe, I'll watch a few Netflix movies. I'll watch the news, MSNBC, CNN, or whatever flavor. I'll watch that for a couple of days. I'll listen to what the world is saying. I'll listen to the music on country and rock and pop and Christian. And, and I'll listen and I'll hear all that. And whatever they all agree on, I just determined what I believe. Everything they did not say. That's how I can form my opinion, what scripture says. And if I'm still uncertain what the world says, I stand in an opposite place because they're never right. Because they live in the lie. So, when I get clarity, then I can live more fully, more freely according to what God wants for me. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is, uh, is preaching. And Jesus said six times, he says, you've heard this said, but I say to you six times. What Jesus was saying is this, you've heard all kinds of messages from your world, but I tell you this is the truth. You see, Jesus can't say a lie. And the devil can only tell a lie. So everything that's led by the world, the flesh, and the devil is a lie. And Jesus says, you've heard this said, even in the church. He's speaking to religious people. You've heard it said in the past, but I tell you, that's not the case. This is the truth. And so when the world says adultery is okay if your needs are unmet, the world says homosexual, homosexuality is a viable lifestyle option because you are born that way. And let me be real clear about that. A homosexual, a homosexual can say they're born that way and they're kind of telling the truth because homosexuality is a sin and we're all born with a sin proclivity and sin disposition. If you're, if you're an alcoholic, you may have been born an alcoholic because that's the sin that seemed to ring your bell. If you're addicted to pornography, you were born a porn addict because you've got a proclivity, a tendency for that. Listen, the devil watches your choices. He watches your life. He watches your preacher's life and choices. And there's a lot of choices along the way. Alcohol and drugs, he doesn't tempt me with that stuff. And, and pride proceeded the fall. I'm very cautious about saying this, okay? But he doesn't tempt me with that stuff because I'm not allured to that. There's other things in this world that he allures me with. And that's the carrot he chooses for me. So for somebody to say, I was born that way, eh, they're speaking a little bit of truth. You were born a sinner with a desire for particular sins more than others. So when the world says pornography is fine in the privacy of your own home, the world says friends with benefits in high school is acceptable behavior. The world says that sex before marriage is acceptable. The world says all varieties of sex sexual experience are okay. And all of those are in direct opposition to God's word, but nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to hear it. The world says you're missing out on the best part of your life. And so 
The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what the world says. Oh, you're missing out, man. Just watch the movies. Just look at, the, watch this sappy love story, man. You're missing out, okay? That's what the world says. And meanwhile, Hebrews 11 says, by faith, when, when he grew up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. The world says this, and people who want to live for God say, you know what, I'm going to be ill-treated rather than pursue this fleeting sin pleasure. The flesh then screams, I just want to be loved. I just want to be accepted. Meanwhile, John 3, 16 screams out and says, you are loved and you can be accepted. The devil begins to say things to, to a 15-year-old girl like, if you love me, you will show me. They said the same kind of thing to Jesus. Matthew 16, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on God's interest but on man's. Young ladies down here and anywhere in here, if a guy tells you if you, if you really love him, you'll show him by giving him sexual encounters, you just look at him and say, you get behind me, Satan. That's what Jesus said, and it worked. Young men, if you've got a girl in your life that won't leave you alone, that means she ain't gonna leave somebody else alone too. You look at her and say, get thee behind me, Satan. You're not here to help me, okay? You're here to hurt me. Meanwhile, Proverbs rings in about this whole alluring thing called sexuality. Scripture just talks about it. Proverbs 9, Solomon says in verse 14, and she sat down at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who are passing by her in the way, who go straight on their way. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To those who lack understanding, she has said, stolen waters are sweet, and food obtained in secret is pleasant, but they do not realize that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Proverbs 5 says, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her seductive words are smoother than olive oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Listen to me. I want to be real clear what scripture says about sin. There's pleasure in sin. <laughs> I'm telling you. Doesn't matter what, what, what flavor it is, but when we're talking about Biblical, the biblical view of sex, it doesn't matter if it's pornography, if it's a, another woman, another man, some, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how you paint it, there's pleasure in that because the enemy knows how to allure you with pleasure. But listen, Scripture says there's pleasure in sin, but it doesn't stop there. It says there's pleasure in sin, ready, for a season. And just like we just entered summer and this season came after spring and in just a few months fall will follow this season and it brings something totally different every season brings something different and you listen to me the pleasure in this sin for this season will lead to heartbreak and disappointment in the next season you cannot make decisions in life for this season you have to make decisions in this life 
for the future seasons. And the only way we can do that well is to make them based on truth, which is in the Word of God. King David, one of the greatest men in all of human history, one of the greatest kings, one of the greatest uh, uh, warriors in all of human history, he got involved in the drift and he stopped caring. Scripture says that when the kings go out to battle, David stayed at the palace. Wasn't where he was supposed to be. The Bible says he went out on his porch and he noticed a lady named Bathsheba. And she was bathing on her porch. Now, we don't know if she did that intentionally. All we know is David looked and he liked. And he invited her to the palace. When he got her to the palace, this is King David. Scripture says he's a man after God's own heart. This is somebody who wrote the 23rd Psalm. I mean, this guy defeated literally, personally, hundreds of the enemy. But in this moment of weakness, he invited her to the palace. He entertained the pleasure of sin for a season. She became pregnant. So to cover up his sin and her sin, he invited Uriah to come in, which was his number one warrior. Invited Uriah to come in to have relationships, a relationship with sexual relationship with his wife so that he could blame the pregnancy on him. Uriah slept on the front porch of his house and he said, I cannot do that while our men are at war. So David sent a, a, a message back with Uriah to the front lines that said, put Uriah on the front so he can be killed. He's covering up his sin. You see, this drift led him to some place that he did not desire to go. This sin pleasure in sin for a season led to this whole different season now he's not only an adulterer he's a murderer that baby that was born to he and Bathsheba died his own son rebelled against him God would not allow him to fulfill the destiny that God had for him he did not get to build the temple you see the next season the flavor of the next season is tempered in how we live in this season. And we need to be careful with the sin for a season. And you better know there was pleasure in that season. You see, sometimes the problem is we begin to look around, we get dissatisfied, we get anxious, and we begin to look around at other pastures, at the grass on the other side of the fence, and and it looks a little greener, right? It's greener maybe because somebody's taking care of it better than we're taking care of our own grass. But the reality is when we cross that fence, that that field has cows and dogs in it too. And they leave piles of stuff in that yard too. You've just been stomping around in your own grass long enough to know where they are. And so we get over there and we realize sin for a season is pleasurable. But then after it all gets uncovered, we realize that the whole time it was a, a facade it was a lie. When I was traveling, I remember it was about 4th of July, and I would travel where 59, Interstate 59 and 24 split to go to Birmingham and Nashville. And there was a firework, a fireworks store there called Crazy Eddie's, Crazy Ed's. And so it was 4th of July, and I thought, man, I'm going in there. It was huge. This building looked like the front of this building. It was massive. And so I pulled in there one day, snaked around, got to where it was, and I opened the door, and it was like a single wide trailer behind this big facade. 
And they had some firecrackers in there, you know, and some sparklers. It was just a regular old fireworks store. But on the front, man, I mean, it had lights flashing, and it was, oh, and that's the way sin is. It shows up, and all you see is what you want to see. But behind it, you realize it's a facade. It's not real after all. And so we need to be mindful that when it comes to morality, when it comes to sexual sins, Scripture tells us in 1 Peter 5 that we need to be sober and we need to be alert and vigilant that we have an enemy and his name is the devil and he is a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. His goal is not to satisfy you long term. His goal is not to make you a better person. His goal is to kill steal and destroy you in the next season and we need to learn so we've defined biblical sex a little bit we've debunked the lies of it and point number three is delivery from failures regarding biblical sex and you'll have to come back next week for that one I want you to know though no matter where you are in your journey with Jesus maybe you've fallen to some level of sexual immorality, some failure in in that arena. Listen, Jesus died on a cross to pay your sin debt for that one too. And there's healing. And maybe you're here today and you're the one who's been offended by a sexual sin in your life. I want you to know that your healing begins when you forgive that person. And, And I know it's hard. Jesus said that as you forgive, so shall you be forgiven. And that's the only way you can be liberated. And maybe you're the offender. Maybe you're the one who's engaged in sexual immorality. I want you to know you can leave that with Jesus. You can walk away and be pure and live your life differently as a child of God. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as as your Savior and your Lord, I want you to know today he loves you right where you are but he loves you way too much to leave you there he died on a cross to set you free from your sinful condition and he invites you into his forever family and all you have to do is receive that grace gift well how do I do that you simply say God I know I'm a sinner I've got friends who would bear witness of that but God I hear your story today that you love me in the midst of it and you died to set me free from it I want Jesus to come into my life. I want to exchange my filth. I want to exchange my shame. I want to exchange my brokenness and my sinfulness. I want to exchange it for the perfection of Jesus, your son. Save me today. I want you to be my savior and my master or Lord for the rest of my life. And for the rest of us, some of us, many of us need you to just come clean with God. Say, God, I've messed this up. I want you to forgive me. I want you to give me strength. I want you to help me find deliverance from this sexual appetite that I've developed on my own. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast. 
and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.